going to kick off episode 359 with the song Malaguena Stomp. It's from the album CEO Tuvier Uno Longboard from the band Five Fingers with Parasol. They're a surf band based out of Castillon, Spain. You can find them at Five Fingers. That's the number five and then fingers spelled out. Bandcamp.com or just follow the link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net, which is the website for Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. I want to welcome you to the show. Got a lot to talk about, a few things that I'm not going to talk about. I'll talk about that at the end of the show. Let's talk about what's coming up, though. The meat of this episode. I've got another new voice to add to the Monster Kid Radio pool of amazing Monster Kid voices. I've got author Jim Beard coming on the show. Jim writes in a handful of different genres. He writes in the new pulp genre. He's an anthologist. He's written some Planet of the Apes fiction, authorized. He's got some comic book work. He's just the man. He's got so much out there. And he took some time out of his busy writer schedule to come to Monster Kid Radio to talk about a movie from 1936. It's directed by Lambert Hillier. Well, and if you looked at the uh, title of this episode, you know we're going to be talking about the universal classic, Dracula's daughter. I'm excited to talk about this movie. Sometimes I worry here on Monster Kid Radio that I get a little far away from what I originally envisioned the show way back in the day when I launched it. You know, I really wanted to stick to the the, the classics, you know, the, the pre-1968 monster movies, the bonafide classics, movies that you can look at and say, yes, th- this belongs on something called Monster Kid Radio, like Dracula's Daughter. Now, don't get me wrong, I am very excited that I've opened up the wheelhouse a little bit for MKR. For example, we talked about the movie House from 1977 just last week with my friend Stephen Turek. In fact, we got some feedback about it as well. This was a message I received on Facebook through the Monster Kid Radio page. By the way, if you're on Facebook, please consider liking the Monster Kid Radio page. Anyway, this message came from Jason P. Hey, Derek, I was happy to hear you talk about House last week as I've been on a mini Japanese horror kick lately. I've heard of House over the years and have never seen it, but the Blu-ray is now at the top of my Netflix queue. He continues, I recently got a chance to see all three movies in the Toho Dracula series. The series consists of 1970s The Vampire Doll, Lake of Dracula from 1971, and Evil of Dracula from 1974. He says Lake of Dracula is his favorite. He continues, it was recently announced that Arrow is putting them out on Blu-ray on May 15th. If you haven't seen them, you should give them a try. Lake is especially great being an interesting take on the Stoker novel. Dracula in the movie is portrayed as pale white and feral, with opaque yellow eyes and blood smeared on his face. It's great stuff. I'd also recommend Quaden from... Did I say that right? Quaden? Quaden? I'd also recommend Koi Dan from 1964, also released by Toho and available from Criterion for a take on the Japanese ghost story genre. Jason, thank you for sending me a message through Facebook. I saw the announcement about the Dracula series coming, and I cannot wait for that to come out. I've never seen them, and I'm really stoked to see what they're going to look like. And I've heard that they're pretty good, and your comments seem to back that up. I'm really excited about it. Koi Dan? Uh, Koi Dan? Dominique's probably going to 
kill me on this one. I, I don't know how to pronounce the name, but Quaidan Quadden uh, from 1964. Uh, I did have it on the DVR for the longest time because it got played on TCM, I believe, not too long ago. But then the Olympics happened and we needed to clear some room off the DVR. And unfortunately, it didn't make the cut. I had to delete it to make room for curling. Come on, priorities, man. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I do want to see it. I need to see more Japanese genre films. I love the Kaiju movies. I mean, that's my jam. That I love them so much. Although I know Japan also has a lot of non-giant monster genre films that I really need to see. And that one's on my list. So eventually I'll get to it, I'm sure. I think I'll probably do the Dracula series first just because I'm so excited about that. I've got to wait till May 15th, though. I don't know. Between now and who knows? Jason, I appreciate you writing in, man. It means a lot to have people dropping us a line on Facebook. And I'm really curious as to what you think about House. Please feel free to let me know what you thought. <laughs> Also specific to last week's episode, I made a couple of comments that generated a response from listener Ed, also on Facebook. He says here, just want to give my two cents on your Citizen Kane opinion slash comment during this podcast. I don't know whether you've seen it or not, but it's an extremely atmospheric film with many gothic horror trappings. It's just not a dry character study or an overrated melodrama like Casablanca, in my opinion. There's a reason why Kane is so revered and loved beyond its technical achievements. In fact, you'll often see a Citizen Kane poster hanging on a fan's wall alongside a Dracula 1931 poster. As a huge Universal horror fan, I'd rather rewatch Citizen Kane before I rewatch any of the Mummy or Invisible Man or Creature sequels. Oh, <laughs> okay, let me finish. Kane is an extremely fun picture. It even has a bit of an RKO King Kong vibe during one of the scenes. I think they use the same animated pterodactyls shot as birds in one scene near the end. Long live Kane. And then I'm going to go watch House right now. So, okay. <laughs> Make sure. I really hope I didn't give the impression that I did not like Citizen Kane. I do. I think it's a fantastic film. I love the story behind the production of the film. I think Orson Welles was just the top of his game. He nailed it. This movie is fantastic. And, and I want to be honest, I have not seen this film since film school. And that was many, many moons ago for me. I probably should sit back down and watch it again. And you know, it's one of the things that I've been trying to do anyway is watch more period film from the, the eras that a lot of my favorite monster movies came out in just, just to kind of have a comparison of what was going on in Hollywood at the time. I do need to see it. I, I don't want anybody to think that I did not like it. I think it's solid. I might take issue with your comment about Casablanca, though. I, I love that one. <laughs> That's a great film, and I'll watch that. So, you know, I think it just comes down to personal taste. Obviously, as a monster kid through and through, I'm going to watch my monster movies above all else. So when you said you didn't like The Mummy or the creature sequels, ooh. But again, I know that uh, it's a different era than, say, the movie we're talking about this week on the show. Dracula's Daughter came out in the 30s. When Universal, even if they weren't giving as much money to Dracula's Daughter, they still approached these movies as, you know, films for the wide audience, mass market. Whereas later in the 40s and especially in the 50s, a lot of them got relegated to true B-movie status. So they didn't get as much money. They didn't get as much production. They didn't get as much lead-up time or promotion or any of that. So I do see what you're saying there, especially when it comes to the Mummy movies. I mean, I love them, but they are not on the same level as the original Mummy film. I love Revenge of the Creature, and I really enjoy Creature Walks Among Us. That one I really warmed up to. But Creature from the Black Lagoon is obviously the superior film. Tell you what, in March, 
I'll watch Citizen Kane again and I'll come back and I'll let y'all know what I thought. Like I said, it's been way too long. I appreciate the comment on Facebook. And, and that's what I love about the Monster Kid Radio audience that happens to be on Facebook. You guys and gals are awesome. I have seen so many conflicts on Facebook lately. Uh, drama, politics, what's going on in the world, news, you know, all this stuff. Even in closed communities, I see the breakdown of relationships and decorum and all of that. And I really just want to say thank you guys and gals for making the Monster Kid Radio page and specifically the Monster Kid Radio group. I don't want to say a safe space or anything like that, but I mean, you've made it a fun place online for us to just hang out and chat about these monster movies, chat about the show, chat about what we're watching, that sort of thing. So thank you for that. Just like in this case. So again, thank you guys and gals. If you are a Facebook user, please consider joining the group because there's a lot of conversations happening over there. People post some stuff all the time. It's great. But maybe do that after you've listened to this episode. We're going to talk about Dracula's Daughter with my friend, my new friend, Jim Beard. It's somebody that I never really had any contact with before. I mean, we were Facebook friends, but that's about it. I had a great time chatting with him. I had a great time editing the conversation. Didn't have to clean it up too much because we were on point and having a blast. And I hope that carries over into what you're about to hear right after this. There's an enemy spy at large, an invisible man. Amazing. You will be of great help to us. Who is this terrifying Phantom Commando? What is his amazing mission? See The Invisible Agent, suggested by H.G. Wells' Invisible Man, starring Ilona Massey and John Hall, with Peter Lorre, Sir Cedric Hardwick, J. Edward Bromberg, Albert Bosserman, in the most amazing story of our times. Now, let him get away. Who is there? How did you know I was going to England? I didn't, but so the trap was all set, eh? Frank, how can you talk like that? Oh, what's this? It's full of hooks. Oh, they're tearing into me. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate the thrills of the monster versus monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen. And that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories 
sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again. And remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. No! Don't dig here. There's something evil down there. Great was the curse laid upon it. Great was the evil power granted it. Buried for 400 years, it still lives. Stare into these eyes if you dare, for every woman that does becomes a willing slave to the thing that couldn't die. You're not the same girl you were yesterday. Yesterday I was trying to do what was right. I was afraid. But I'm not afraid anymore. and every man becomes a monster. There's another casket buried somewhere on the ranch, Jessica, and Mr. Ash has promised us $5,000 if we can find it. Isn't it enough that two men are dead? Do the rest of you want to die too? Greed had made them unearth a monstrous evil centuries old. Now they, and they alone, had to face the consequences. This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned. And don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. Monster Kid Radio listeners, the other day, somebody mentioned Dracula's Daughter in a Facebook thread and, and mentioned it in a positive light, and I got really excited because I think Dracula's Daughter is an underrated gem, and so does this week's guest, Jim Beard. Welcome to Monster Kid Radio. Hey, thanks for having me on. This is uh, this is incredible. I, I never would have imagined, you know, back when I was a kid watching Sir Graves Gasly out of Detroit, that I would someday be on Monster Kid Radio. <laughs> oh, well, you flatter me, sir, but uh, <laughs> well, I'm happy to have you on here. And listeners, just so you know who Jim Beard is, Jim is an author. He recently appeared in the anthology Quest for the Space Gods, the Chronicles of Conrad von Honig? Did I say that right? Is that Honig? Oh, Honig, Honig, yeah. <laughs> That's close enough. 
Okay. But he's also appeared in a number of other anthologies, both Monster Kid friendly and maybe some that don't necessarily sit in the Monster Kid wheelhouse, but are still just as cool. And I'm referring to like your G.I. Joe books you've done for Amazon, which I've also enjoyed. Thanks. Also, uh, to keep it back in the Monster Kid radio wheelhouse, he also appeared in last year's Planet of the Apes Tales from the Forbidden Zone anthology, which... Longtime listeners now appeared on the gift guide last year. This was a solid book. Thank you. We're very, very proud of it. We just hit 50 reviews on it. I thought that was appropriate. 50 years of Planet of the Apes and and 50 reviews on our book. Hey, that works out well. Yeah, it was, it was like it was meant to be somehow, right? Yeah. Well, I think it's fantastic that uh, you love Dracula's Daughter, but I got to talk a little bit more about, you know, you said something about your wife and you loving this movie. Do you have a history with these films? I mean, obviously you had a horror host growing up. Yeah, um, and, and I was very lucky because we did have a horror host in our area. Uh, I grew up in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, Detroit, Michigan's just about an hour to the north of us, and uh, Sir Graves Gasly was a long-running show it's like late Saturday morning, early Saturday afternoon, uh, it came on and we were very lucky cause we were able to pick it up in Toledo and that really cemented my love for especially the universal monster, uh, movies and kept going from there. Uh, when I met my wife, uh, she was already a, a big universal monsters fan and a, and a hammer fan also she's she's trying to teach me the beauty of hammer films but being so submersed in universal uh it it was a little hard to make the jump to hammer but i'm getting there (laughs) yeah and the funny thing is is when 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 you said we're going to be talking about dracula's daughter I, i know the first time i saw a lot of the universal films for some reason i cannot remember exactly when i first saw dracula's daughter but I loved it from the moment I you know, first saw it, and I'm so glad to get this opportunity to talk about it. That's fantastic. Yeah, the Universal versus Hammer. I don't want to say versus because that makes it sound like you can only like one or the other. Hammer is definitely a different bag. I'll give you that. But there's something about the Universal classic monsters, especially like from yeah. the 30s and 40s. I, I mean, a little more, a little more kid-friendly. I remember if Sir Graves showed a Hammer film, it was almost as if I thought I wasn't supposed to be watching them, that they were very adult you know, hmm. so so there's that there's that difference there, and then of course there's the the color versus you know black and white. But I I have a couple of Hammer favorites now. Oh yeah, Brides of Dracula. It's funny. Oh I'm not, yes, <laughs> I'm not that big of a Christopher Lee as Dracula fan. I I think after you have Bella and even mm-hmm. John Carradine to some extent, it's it's hard to make a the leap to what Christopher Lee does. I respect what he does in those movies very much, but it's just not my cup of, of blood, <laughs> I guess. But uh, <laughs> Brides of Dracula is, is is a really great film, and, and there's this one called The Night Creatures. Oh, yeah. Uh, which I've become very fond of. It's a, it's a retelling of the uh, Dr. Sin and the, the Scarecrow mm-hmm. story, and really, really uh, love that one, too. I love that the two that you brought up feature Peter Cushing prominently. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Cushing is so fantastic in Brides of Dracula. I just, you just don't want to take your eyes off him. He's just amazing mm-hmm. in that. How have you and I not connected before? Because Brides <laughs> of Dracula is one of my absolute favorite sequels <laughs> of all time. I don't know, man. Well, we're going to make up for lost time here, right? That's right. That's right. (laughs) 
Well, something else that we do here on the show uh, to introduce our listeners to our guests, especially first-time guests, is we have a game that we play. It's called the Classic Five, and basically what it is is I've got a deck of cards here. Each one of these cards has a this-or-that, yes-or-no style question about classic monster movies. There are no wrong answers. Was I supposed to study for this? Uh Oh, no, I wanted to spring it on you. (laughs) Well, you have. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there are no right or wrong answers. You don't have to worry about that. It's just a way to let our listeners learn a little bit about you. Are you ready to play the classic card? I'm All right, here we go. ready. I was born ready for this one, I'm sure. <laughs> let me give it one more shuffle here. I don't know if listeners can hear this or not. but All right. Card number one, right off the top. Jim, what classic monster movie needs a prequel? Ooh, wow. Classic monster movie needs a prequel. Um, right off the top of my head, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> so I, I don't know how, how aware you are, Jim, but longtime listeners know that Creature is my favorite film of all time. So so you give me more Gilman and I'm a happy man. So I'm on board <laughs> with you, sir. There's got to be some previous time, you know, where where the Gill Man came up against other people, or maybe even go farther back into you know prehistoric times or something. But 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 uh, the the other monster, the other monsters, you know, their story kind of begins when we see them, except for Dracula. Maybe that would be the next one that I would have said. Hmm. We know in Creature that. People talk about the Black Lagoon, except when they go, they never come back, according to Captain Lucas. So, yeah, yeah right. other encounters. Sure. Okay. Right. All right. So, card number two. <laughs> what is your favorite John Carradine monster movie? <laughs> um, Bride of Frankenstein. He's, you know, he ruins everything. I guess we wouldn't, we wouldn't <laughs> even really have most of that movie if he hadn't ruined everything when he break, comes into the hermit's <laughs> you know, c- cabin. You know, the, the hermit and the monster would have lived out their days together in peace <laughs> without without stupid John Carradine coming in. I like it. I like it. Oh, and speaking of Frankenstein, the third card, the third question, favorite Boris Karloff role? Oh, Cabman Gray in The Body Snatchers. Oh, he's so good in that. You mean we would sell the bodies to the doctors together? To dig them up? There'll be no digging. The kirkyards are too well guarded. We will, so to speak, burk them. Ray killed her. We can't be sure of that. I'm sure, and I mean to report it. It's like Burke and Hare all over again. That is Grave robbing is one thing, but this is murder. You ordered this subject, received it here, and paid for it. That makes you a party to murder. You must leave this house. I can't do that. You hurt McFarlane. Save yourself, Master Fetters. Look at McFarlane. Gray, I must be rid of you. You've become a cancer, a malignant evil cancer, rotting my mind. It is an amazing, incredible performance. And honestly, as much as a Universal Monsters fan that I am, and you have to look over everything that he did in those cycles, 
you've got to watch Body Snatcher and what he does in that role. You know, I don't know if that's uh, heretical to Universal Monsters fans, but but I got to go with that one. Just one amazing movie and possibly his greatest role of all. Wow. Strong words, but Mm. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm I'm a big fan of that film too. So, yeah. Awesome. Okay. Uh, Card number four. And this is. I I like this. You're not arguing. I know. Hey, no, nothing to argue about, man. Like I said, there's no right or wrong, man. Let me see if I can come up with something. (laughs) Something controversial. Okay. (laughs) All right. Uh, Next question. What character from a classic monster movie would you not want to be stuck in an elevator with? <laughs> Probably the the wolf man. <laughs> Honestly, you know, Dracula, I think you could probably talk to him. He's obviously very intelligent. You might be able to hold him off, you know, uh in that situation. Even the mummy to some extent, Karis, boy, but Wolfman, I think he's just completely a beast. And unless you're a good-looking blonde uh, that he happens to love as his alter ego, well, no, he attacked her too. So, yeah, no, it'd be definitely the Wolfman. I wouldn't want to be stuck in an elevator with the Wolfman. Fair enough. I think you're right about Dracula, though. You could have a pretty good conversation with him. Come come at me, bro. You're going to argue with Come on. Okay. Well, so, okay. I love the Wolfman. I'm a huge fan of of Lon Chaney and and that entire thing. But, man, I'm I'm wondering, I guess – Especially if you were stuck in the elevator overnight on a full moon, that would be the problem. <laughs> yeah, you're right, right. You know, uh, The Wolfman is my most favorite Universal film. Yeah? Although he's not my f- most favorite Universal monster, that would be the Frankenstein monster. But but as, as a film, it's definitely The Wolfman. There's something about the chemistry between Lon Chaney and Evelyn Anchors that just sparkles and, and i know they did a number of other movies together as well but I mean, it's just so solid in the wolfman i can't watch any other evelyn anchors movies without comparing whatever she's doing to gwen uh there's mm-hmm. something about that role that really sparked with her i think and everything else just is so dishwater and, and wishy-washy uh everything else that i've ever seen her in there is something about her role as gwen that towers above everything else it's good stuff it's good work she's she's amazing all right final card and uh, this one i did not stack the deck but this one might be relevant a little bit to what we're talking about today okay dwight fry as fritz or dwight fry as renfield Jeez, you know what to me it would actually be dwight fry as carl Ooh, okay, yeah. and Bride. Okay, I, I'm not. I'm not. I much. I much prefer him as Carl than than as Fritz. But I have to go with Renfield. That's just you. <laughs> you can't. You know, next to Bela, he's the standout uh, in, in that film. Uh, so much good stuff out of him uh, in that role. But but yeah, no no Fritz. It's Carl. For, for me. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, for, well, maybe, maybe I'll amend that card and put Carl on there as an yeah. option. And for a thousand crowns, we could go into that. <laughs> Dwight Fry, underrated actor. Um, yeah. You know, d- didn't have as many films under his belt as, as some of the others, but very important part of the Universal Monsters mythos. Almost as much of a sad story as, as Bella himself. Yeah. 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 I, I am going to argue with you, though, because I do like him as Renfield best, I think, for me. Mm-hmm. 
So so there here's our come at you bro kind of thing. No, no, I would say no, I'm saying Renfield definitely. It's it's Carl versus Fritz. Oh, okay, I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I love his transition from just normal guy in Renfield all the way to the other end. And and I feel like his arc, <laughs> even though it's a downward arc, yeah, <laughs> it is probably one of the most fascinating especially when it comes to like the 30s and 40s universal monster movies yeah definitely well that was a classic five how do you feel jim i <laughs> you got me all charged up here now all right <laughs> let's yeah yeah I, I need to keep talking universal monsters here i think we all need that just a little bit don't we <laughs> well that's why you're here right that's right that's right now I, I love the universal monster movies this is my first exposure to this type of film as well i didn't have a horror host growing up unfortunately i, Ooh, I ended up i'm sorry to hear that I, well you know i've made up for lost time you know yeah, i watch horror yeah, host programs yeah. now. i've got sven Gulli, of course every week and then a couple of my best friends are horror hosts so <laughs> you oh, know, I'm, I'm making oh, up so yeah, yeah we're lucky to have uh sven Gulli. he he's not sir graves ghastly to me which was which was everything and i even said online to him one time that he i said you're the next best thing to sir graves ghastly <laughs> how'd he react to that <laughs> he, he didn't <laughs> what, what could he possibly say he probably had True. no idea who sir graves ghastly was <laughs> i mean that's you know maybe that's just something here in in my area Oh, I know who he was, but but then I'm I'm in it. So <laughs> what Rich is doing is continuing an incredible legacy of not just taking up for the original Svengoolie, but just the horror host thing, you know, as it is. And it's, you know, I give him so much credit and what he does is is just fun and, and engaging and and I'm I'm definitely a fan. We have a horror host on national TV. Yeah. I mean and, and today and Sven Gulli is one of the best. I mean he he deserves all the Rondo awards and everything else yeah. he's been awarded with over the years. I love that on the internet you can still find though either older clips or older presentations of horror hosts or even the new stuff. There's so many horror hosts working today. Yeah. that are putting the material out there on YouTube, on Vimeo, uh, the Monster Channel, uh, that sort of thing. So yeah, I, I'm making up for lost time. I, I was once <laughs> I asked a, a question, if I wasn't a writer, what would I have wanted to do? And my immediate answer was to be a horror host. Wow. A successful horror host. <laughs> I would say, what makes more money? Yeah. You know, oh. pulp writer, horror host, you know? Yeah. Oh, I, I, you know, well, I could write my own program, you know, my own dialogue and programs and everything. But yeah, I, hey. I just think that's got to be one of the best jobs ever if you're successful at it. <laughs> it would be a lot of fun. I've been tempted myself, but uh, yeah, the time commitment, I don't think I could pull it off. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's an amazing thing. So, well, that's great that you had this horror host introducing you to all these movies. And I'm assuming these movies influenced you as a writer. Yes, very much so. You know, so much of my, what I've done is, is from that in some ways trying to honor it or emulate it. That and and giant monster movies, uh, uh, Godzilla in particular, all the Showa stuff uh, has influenced me greatly. But definitely Universal Monsters. Yeah, we didn't even mention like the Monster Earth uh, books that you're involved with. Didn't even talk about those. Oh uh, well, that's a whole nother show. Well, there we go. We'll <laughs> save it for next time. Okay. Sounds good to me. Okay. All right. All right. We'll talk giant monsters with you sometime. All right. So back to Dracula's daughter. He's come back. 
Alexander, look at me. What do you see in my eyes? Death. Do you like jewels, Lily? This is very old and very beautiful. Please don't come any closer. I... is weak, Dr. Goss, growing weaker. All your skill can't help her now. She's under a spell that can be broken only by me. Or death. I am Dracula's daughter. When I first saw this film, I'm going to be honest, I wasn't a big fan. Mm. I, I was more, okay. you know, Wolfman, more Creature from the Black Lagoon. Sure. It took me a little while, but now that I've warmed up to it, I really enjoy it. I think it's a beautiful film with some really interesting things happening. Yeah. When you saw it, were you hooked right away? Yes. It has the quality that you expect from Universal Pictures. It's a sequel to one of their classics. And it's got an incredible cast. And that and that's, again, one of the things that, that you count on from Universal's. Is not only does it look good and it's got the atmosphere, but, but they almost always have the uh, solid cast. And, and in some ways, I kind of liken it to what's going on with Marvel Studios right now and, and all of the Marvel movies. Mm. They do that same thing. It, it always looks great, but they always have this solid cast that there is almost no clunkers throughout the cast of those films. And I look at Universal Monsters uh, films as the same way, and this one especially. And I'm, I'm right now I'm staring at the IMDb cast listing, and every time you go, oh, yeah, boy, I really I really enjoyed you know their performance, and then you see another person and you go, yeah, I like really like their performance too. And, yeah, that, that guy really did something interesting. What a credit to Universal for putting together these casts. Right, especially in the 30s and 40s before, you know, there was a change in ownership of Universal and they kind of relegated a lot of the monster movies yeah. to B-movie status. This doesn't feel like a movie that got relegated to B-movie status, even if when they were making the movie, they were really counting on the Invisible Ray being the bigger picture yeah. at the time. This doesn't feel B-movie. I mean, they really have some strong actors and actresses in this that I would have loved to have seen in even more monster movies. I don't know if people like Otto Kruger or them made more genre film. I know I know Gloria Holden didn't. She did lots of things after this up into the 50s, but, but ne- never any sort of thing that stands out or that she got any uh, acclaim for um otto kruger i have a connection with him otto is from my hometown of toledo ohio oh wow yeah i love that uh, i remember when i discovered that and i just thought that was really really fun and drew me into this film even more he is such an unlikely leading man for this film it's an odd choice it, it maybe was a courageous or, or bold choice to, for him to play more or less the, the romantic, dashing lead man. And he, visually, he's not. 
<laughs> you know, his character is so cantankerous, <laughs> you know, uh, not a very likable guy, uh, <laughs> or at least at, not in the beginning. Um, he, he seems kind of superficial, uh, and, you know, it's strange that he's a doctor because he doesn't seem to have much empathy, <laughs> or at least <laughs> it's, it's, he, he's a very, very odd character that, Talk about wanting to see more uh, of something. You talked about a prequel to it. You know, maybe Dracula's daughter could have stood a prequel we, to find out more about Countess uh, Zaleska. But I would have loved to see more of Jeffrey Garth. In fact, I think it would have been fun to have a sort of a another film with just Jeffrey and Janet. After they're together, spoiler alert. <laughs> I assume everybody's seen this movie. <laughs> yeah, we, we, there there will be a spoiler alert before we start this. Game, but I, I think you're right. It could be f- like a fun, maybe thin slightly man. more acerbic thin man. I was about to say thin man. I love the yeah, thin man movies. You, you got to imagine these two as a thin man type couple <laughs> after this. Right. And maybe they even go out and go after supernatural menaces after this, that he's had his eyes open. <laughs> but this is such a weird film that it crosses several genres. It's a horror film, obviously. Sure. It's, yeah. it's something of a mystery or thriller in a way, but it's also a romantic comedy. Yeah, especially with those two, it's kind of got this this screwball comedy comment. Absolutely, like her prank calling him, you know, and and just really needling him all the time. I love it. Yeah. And I suspect that this is what uh, part of the reason, maybe, that some people don't like this film is that. But there's comedy re- relief in every Universal Monsters film, so you can't fault them for having. The, the more lighthearted moments in it. But to me, that makes it even richer that it has these other things in it. It really builds up the characters of Jeffrey and, and, and Janet mm-hmm. uh, and, and makes you care about them and creating the triangle that it does with Maria really to me adds to the overall film. Yeah, I mean, you talk about there being some humor. Can we say Una O'Connor? I mean, there, there's always oh, been... Yeah, oh, that's, a, that's my sore spot. Oh, oh, <laughs> sorry. My <laughs> wife is a big Una O'Connor fan. I um, could never be mistaken for. It. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's the she's the one aspect of comedy relief in Universal monster films that I just cannot tolerate. You know, there's actually a card in the Classic Five desk. Uh, do you like her better in The Invisible Man or Bride of Frankenstein? It's oh. she. She's an acquired taste, I think, especially oh. for today's audiences. So. Her, her, and Donnie Dunnigan. <laughs> oh, I, I love Donnie Dunnigan. Though. Oh he's just, no! Well, we're going to have to disagree on that. One. Well, I, I've oh. talked to him. I've had him on the show. He's a great oh, guy. Well, oh um, well, bless his heart. Bless his heart. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I uh, as much as I love Son of Frankenstein, mm-hmm. I I, can, I cannot take the scenes that he is in. <laughs> but but nothing, there's nothing like that in in this. I I even love the bumbling cops in, in Dracula's Daughter, and I, I lo- even love Hobbs uh, in Dracula's Daughter. <laughs> Thank goodness it doesn't have Uno O'Connor in it. I could just see her; she would have been maybe in in Hedda Hopper's role or something. No, oh yeah. no. <laughs> no, they they do have the bumbling cops. You know, well, kind of, they they the, get pretty the close one to the bumbling, bumbling cops. Cop, you know, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, there there's there's an almost like Max Senate kind of 
vibe to one of these guys. Yeah. It fits so for what it is. It totally fits. Uh, I think uh, Billy Bevan was one of the uh, the police officers. He might have been the one, but I mean, there's Albert, so many. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, and it works. It doesn't feel out of place, especially when you look at some of the other movies coming out around this time, uh, or even later in the '40s, with like the Return of the Vampire. We have those 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 cops that are kind of inefficient. Yeah, <laughs> to put it nicely, so it fits. It doesn't take away. It just kind of adds to the texture and the tapestry of the film. Yeah, and there's not too much of him. Once no. you, once you think you might start to get sick of him that you know they move him along and in fact uh you almost eh, more or less feel sorry for him because he's waylaid by the countess then he sort of disappears but uh you you kind of wonder uh you know does he die uh when you know after she you know brain or not brainwashes him or subjugates him whatever and he uh, they find him after she steals the the body of her father like what happens to that officer? You know, does he have a heart attack? Is he dead? Right. So there's a little bit of you know feeling that you that you have for him. Right, and and I feel like the filmmakers knew how much humor to put in with him when yeah. when Dracula's daughter when the Countess is putting the whammy on him. Yeah. We we cut away just as it's about before we see what she's going to ultimately do we, we cut yeah. and then we advance to him just sitting there catatonic in the chair or as you said maybe he's even dead who knows but he's just yeah. sitting there i like that that scene transition the way it was cut to kind of let us imagine even more what exactly did she just do to him and is he going to be okay i i, I like that moment as well it's, it's skillful filmmaking Yes, d- definitely. For what it goes into after that with the scene uh, of her exorcism or whatever you want to call it, which is an intense, intense scene mm-hmm. that you that you sort of are given this uh, little, little more or less comedy thing leading up to that. You mentioned that scene. That's one of my favorite scenes in this film because how many times have we ever seen a vampire willingly pick up a cross? Yes. To do something with it. I mean, that's terrifying. Yeah. I, I think in a perfect world, it would have been in, more interesting if she had, had put a glove on <laughs> before right. handling that. But it's an incredible scene that she can handle it, but she can't look at it. it one of the little fun things about it is Sandor, who is a standout character to me in this film. One that there's another one that I would love to know far, far more about. Uh, he he represents to me maybe the true evil in this movie. He seems to be bad through and through. Where Maria has some saving graces, and although she succumbs to her legacy by the end of the picture, you still, f- I think, feel for her. Sandor, you just want to smash him <laughs> completely. <laughs> but but he's a fascinating character because, as we understand, he's a normal human. Mm-hmm. There doesn't seem to be anything supernatural about him. In fact, that he lusts after having the supernatural power. You wonder how much truth is in it when he says she promised him eternal life uh how much truth there is in that but what gets me in that scene during the exorcism is that he turns away from the cross he is such a wannabe 
<laughs> he, he's a pathetic wannabe that he's he's a normal human. He doesn't have to turn away from the cross. But he but you know what I mean? He's uh, he's such a wannabe <laughs> and trying to put himself into the mindset of being a vampire that he's got to turn away too from from the from the cross. I was going to ask you what you thought about that. It's, it's yeah, which nice. is just silly. You know, he's just such a poser. Uh, and a wannabe that he's he's trying to convince himself, you know, that he's some kind of supernatural creature. <laughs> yeah, that that sequence uh, seems to uh, have a bit of controversy about it. You know, why why did he turn? Is he is he just preparing for the role of being a vampire? Is he he just so into it? He's like, oh man, I'm gonna, you know. I, who I knows? think that I think that's what it's supposed to be. He, yeah. Again, I'm going back. He's a poser. Mm-hmm. He he wants to be it so bad that yeah he's taking on the artifice of being a vampire when he when he's not really he right. wants to be god only knows why but you want to really know how is it that he is with maria how did he come into her you know uh to be her employee or whatever and could she have achieved what she wanted to achieve without him being around He's there to catch her from crossing over into our world for his own, you know, personal gain. He's tainting her her soul further and drawing her back into the dark. Again, it's a fascinating character in, in this film that that I really love to see more of and know more about him. You know, and I think that's a shame that this film doesn't get as much attention as, as say, some of the other sequels or, or uh, sequels involving other children of monsters, you know, Son of Frankenstein yeah. and all these others, because it would be fascinating, like you said, to know more about what Sandor's up to, where he came from, how he connected with the Countess, yeah. what what they did before all of this happened. And, and what were they doing when Dracula was running around and doing stuff at Carfax Abbey? Uh, you, you know, you look at the movie and you look at the timeline. This movie picks up almost immediately after the end of the previous Dracula. And well, the funny thing is, is that when the cops come down the the stairs of of Castle Frankenstein, <laughs> where is um, uh, uh, Jonathan and Mina? Well, they they couldn't afford them, I guess, to come back. No, I don't know. Well, but, but, <laughs> time there the timeline is so tight that they must have just missed jonathan and Mina leaving because (laughs) because you know van helsing is still down in there and you know doing whatever he's doing staking you know people and 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 stuff like that it's a really nice touch though that they have renfield's body at the bottom of the stairs right and that, and that Van Helsing explains who he is. Mm-hmm. That's really uh, a nice touch. They they didn't have to to do things like that. And and Universal Monster movies are very well known for just kind of forgetting about what happened in the previous right. film together, and and not really caring, just moving along and forging its own path <laughs> but that was that's a really nice touch you know we've talked about this on the show before that you know back then it's not like somebody could watch dracula on dvd and then rush out to see dracula's daughter in the theater so exactly you know that the the continuity 
sometimes gets a little wobbly with some of these films, especially yeah. when you look at the mummy films from Universal. Uh, the continuity is a little <laughs> yes. screwy. But yeah. in this one, it feels like they did take care to, with the exception of Missing Mina and Jonathan, they did take care to not only follow up immediately afterwards, but even if you hadn't seen Dracula, Van Helsing does enough of an info dump to kind of let us know what's going on. And breeding us up to speed. So I, I think it holds up really well as a sequel. And I don't oh, know yeah. if that's a Lemley thing. I mean, this is the last film that Carl Lemley Sr. was involved with. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if that was a Lemley thing or what. But there was just something there that that made it feel like a natural continuation. With the exception of maybe changing Van Helsing's name to Von Helsing. But, you know, whatever. We can't have everything. <laughs> No, we can't. We can't have everything. I'm to understand that some people refuse to recognize this as a sequel to to Dracula or in the canon. And I just, I'll respect that opinion, but I just can't see where they're coming from. It is very, very much a sequel to Dracula. Dracula uh, looms over the story without actually physically being there. Uh, and and that's you know despite the wax dummy of Bela Lugosi in the coffin. Oh man, if they had had Bela in this, just, just, I mean, they even have publicity photos of him sitting around yeah. um, with her. But man, if they had Bela Lugosi in this, but I think but, this movie would have but, had a little bit more. Yeah. That said, it would have been a completely different film. Oh sure, and maybe not even as good of one. I'd hate to have anything take this film out of existence or, you know, or continuity or, or, or whatever. I, I love it for exactly the way it is and that they made sure that, that Dracula's presence was still felt in this. She is what she is because of him. He still influences her. He, she says to Garth that in a way, Dracula influences her from beyond the grave, that she can't escape that. It is interesting that with Dracula out of the picture, that that she still has her vampiric qualities. And I guess that's we're supposed to think that she is still a vampire because he's not truly destroyed. Ah. If he's truly destroyed, maybe she wouldn't be... Uh, a vampire anymore. I, I don't know. I like that though. Yeah. But again, I think with, with Jeffrey's help, she probably could have escaped the curse, but it, it's Sandor who drags her back in. Every time she thinks she's out, Sandor drags her back in. <laughs> uh, you know, we talk a little bit about what it, it might've been if Legosi was involved and whether or not it would have been as, as good. There's another what if that I like to consider when it comes to this film is that James Whale was approached to direct this. Yeah, isn't that weird? <laughs> Whoa, what a weird film that would have been. I mean, because this is this would have been you know post thirty five, post Bride of Frankenstein, James Whale, where he's all he's allowed to do whatever he wants basically with yeah. Marvel Universe. It would have been such a crazy looking film. Yeah, it really would have, and I'm wondering if he would have played up the sort of decadent high society aspect of the film mm, maybe uh, or, or what other weird things you know i'm sure there would have been a uh, sort of a religious vibe going through it as it does through bride of frankenstein mm-hmm. um but t- touching just real quick once more on on bela yeah the unfortunate thing there is that he would have been the star of the film and not gloria holden yeah that's true it would take away from what she's doing 
her character most likely would, even though I'm assuming that it would have still been called Dracula's daughter, her character would have been submerged because how how can you not <laughs> around Bella and the, such the strong personality and presence mm-hmm. uh, that that he had? G- Gloria Holden, I think, is what is sort of the 800 pound gorilla in the room. We haven't really talked about her. We, we her, haven't, her. and and I want to get to her in a second, but I wanted to yeah. to read something from uh, the Dracula's daughter treatment that. John Balderson wrote back in 1934 when they were putting the movie together. And I I think you could not have gotten away with this if you didn't have Gloria Holden as the the lead. The use of a female vampire instead of male gives us a chance to play up sex and cruelty legitimately. (laughs) In Dracula, (laughs) these had to be almost eliminated because too horrible and unpleasant if added to the blood-sucking of women by a male monster. So, yeah, it would have been a very different film, I think, if Pela was in it. Yeah. All right. So I don't Lord, know. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know what James Whale would have done with a female lead. Mm. Uh, you know, there's some really interesting questions in there, uh, and you know, a lot of good speculation as to as to what he could have brought to it. But it, it, it is what it is, mm-hmm. and and it is incredible. The, the way it is and you I guess we could sit all day long and, and speculate on what it could be but but I'm very happy with 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 the way it is oh yeah I'm I'm very happy with this film I think it's a, a great film and I love the direction in it uh, Lambert Hillier yeah did a wonderful job but y- yeah. you said we hadn't talked about Glory Holden yet we probably ought to um, yeah. because I mean she is Dracula's daughter and she is she's yeah. fantastic uh, yes, she's she mesmer- really magnet I, I can't help but watch her wide-eyed every time she's on screen you you were saying mag you said magnetic yeah fantastic word to use in connection with her and what she does supposedly she was not a happy camper mm. for this people claim that they can see that in her performance I remember when I first heard that and being surprised by it because I did not go, oh, yeah, that's why this, this, and this. I don't see it at all uh, in there. She, If there's any unhappiness, all I see is that she's a professional. Yeah. In a day when the actors were professionals through and through, and although maybe they were given a B movie to do or even a Z movie to do, they it's like Bella himself. Bella always brought his A game to every single role, no matter if it was a Bowery Boys picture. I don't see anything in Gloria Holden and what she does as as not wanting to be there. She uh, is very intense at times and uh, ethereal. But then also somehow very, very grounded. Yeah, you don't want to turn away from her. She's an odd-looking person (laughs) at at times. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's not exactly uh, the standard of beauty uh, that you that you might have had at that at that time. There's, There's something very odd about her. But I think that very that really suits the role. She looks very European. Mm-hmm. Uh, she looks aristocratic, so I think that that fits very well. And her whole delivery is just so otherworldly that that it all works somehow. She does have this, like you said, European vibe. This this kind of 
alien vibe that yeah, Lugosi, yes. you know, had for Dracula or in yeah, pretty much every other film he did. But yeah, I mean, she has this kind of, I come from another world vibe going in and that, that works for what this film is and the story it's trying to tell. I think she's gorgeous in this film, the way they light her, the way they yeah. use her. I think she's, fan- I mean, she looks fantastic, but you know, the performance goes beyond that. It's, it's really just this way she holds herself on set, the way she interacts with some, there's just so much going on here that I really enjoyed. Yeah. I, and like I said, I wish she did more. She's a countess through and through. Mm-hmm. I also think that she very realistically, conveys the idea of wanting to escape her legacy. She's a universal monster that you feel for, which is somewhat of a trademark of theirs. I think Dracula is one of the few universal monsters that you (laughs) don't feel for. You know, maybe at that very quick moment when, when he says there are worse things beyond death, and then it's gone, you know, and he's back to being evil again. Gloria Holden's very convincing in in every moment uh, when she wants to escape the curse and then when she accepts it and she's deliciously bad, <laughs> you know, towards the end when she's in the castle at the end. And I think she does have some good chemistry with Otto Kruger in this film, too. Otto Kruger, uh, again, going back to Jeffrey Garth as a character, it's such a shame that we didn't see anything more with, with him and uh, Janet. That would have been fantastic. If only these characters were in the public domain, because, man, it would be a blast to write some more stories with those two. One of my top drawer writer's dream is to be able to write official Universal Monsters fiction. Oh, man, how amazing would that be? And and the problem is, is that it's been done, but it, it has never uh, been successful. And, and so it, you have to go years and years before they want to allow people to do it again. Uh, the last time was the uh, the Dark Horse uh, series of novels, mm-hmm. which, which, inclu- which included Maria, but I can't accept it as that same character. It is a very different take on it and i don't see anything of gloria holden in in uh oh no hold on i'm i'm i i tell a lie she's not in those ones she's in the uh the previous one with like devil's brood and devil's night right yes yeah yes which Which, now the the, the books that kicked (laughs) off that series uh the return of the wolfman by jeff roven i actually find to be really good uh, oh, uh, it's it's one of my most favorite novels yeah. of all time, and and definitely my favorite like monster or mm-hmm. werewolf novel. Uh, just incredible. And then, the yeah, they ejected him and brought in what's what's his name? Who I always think of as what's his name? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I they're not. Yeah, and and it's a complete disservice to the character of Maria Zaleska. If she's going to be brought back, she the character deserves far far better. Than, than that um the the dark horse series was kind of hit and miss the, that was an interesting bag yeah that dream i uh, to do an anthology like we did with planet of the apes and oh, bring wow. in several authors and and hit all the main characters and maybe even some of the secondary characters and yeah that that would be the way to to be able to continue some of these characters it'd be fun to check back in with jeffrey and janet yeah and see what's up to them and maybe they get drawn back in maybe you know maria comes back and wants revenge on the two of them Mm -hmm. uh, 
I thought I think that would be very interesting. It'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. So you're listening Universal. Let's let's make that happen. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> I know they're listening. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So Dracula's daughter has you know you mentioned the the girl in the room here and, and you mentioned Gloria Holden. I, I want to yeah. mention another one. Okay. There's the conversation about the the, the sexual element. Uh, her mm-hmm. being a potential. Uh, yeah. sexual predator, uh, the the romantic relationship between her and her victims. What's your take on that? I respect very much that opinion and, and the people who hold that opinion. If it's there, I think it's probably gotten some undue attention to to the extent that it could kind of overshadow other really great things about this film. I do think at times that too much is made of it when I, I'm not so sure that it's as much there as some people believe. I know that Universal played it up somewhat in advertising at that time, but I think that basically Maria is interested in anything that has blood in it. Okay. I, you know, I, I don't think she really cares if her victims are male or female. And I think that that really shows the, her first victim is, is a male, mm-hmm. uh, the top-headed gentleman on the street. I think she sees as much blood in him as she did Lily. I know that the sexual component is a, is a big part of the, the vampire you know, mythos. Um, but I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I'm not seeing it as much in this as, as some people see saying that the character is a lesbian when she is very obviously interested in Jeffrey. Right. She wants Jeffrey to spend eternity with her, whether that's a sexual thing. I, I, I couldn't really say whether it, you know, it seems more of a, a romantic thing than, than anything. I don't believe that she's moving in to kiss Janet the way a lot of people feel like she was. I think she was moving in to bite Janet. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, okay. I, I don't understand, you know, where there's no real other precedent for that before that that would be tr- translated as that sort of thing. Um, again, I, I'm not saying these aspects are not there, but I do believe that that in a way too much can be made of them to the detriment of so many other interesting things in this film. But if people want to see it in there, that's the beauty of fiction. That's the beauty of film and books and comics and everything else is that you can see what you want in them and increases your pleasure in it. Then fantastic. You know, as long as you're not hurting somebody else with, with it, then go for it. Um, I sure. think the character of Maria is is complicated uh, and multi-layered. But, but again, I go back to she is a vampire and that's her prime motivating uh, compulsion is that she, she sees blood in everything. In fact, it would have been really, really, really incredible that when she has L- Lily in her little studio – and and Lily takes her blouse down, uh, so you know her upper chest and shoulders are exposed. If they could have 
given us a quick shot from Maria's point of view of looking at Lily and somehow superimposed the veins across her skin that we could have seen what Maria was seeing. When she looked at Lily, to me, she's seeing blood mm-hmm. and, and a very healthy you know, specimen filled with, with what she needs, which is blood. Sure. Um, I, I think that would have been very cool. I'm not sure if they could have done it with the effects a, at the time, but but then again, th- they did some really incredible superimposition things in the Invisible Man movies and Dracula uh, coming back to life in House of Frankenstein and things like that. I, they might have been able to do something like that to 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 maybe hammer that point home a little bit more. Sure, and. I'm going to agree with most of what you just said there. I think if you go looking for it, you can find it, and that's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, not too long ago, I had uh, Chris McMillan from The Shot Over Portland on the show, and we were talking a little bit about Bride of Frankenstein just briefly. And Bride mm-hmm. of Frankenstein is loaded with tons of stuff with Pretorius and Dr. Frankenstein. And if you look sure. at it, you can read it one particular way. But just like with that film in Dracula's Daughter, you can take that away, or it can just be a monster movie that – She's a vampire doing what vampires do. I, I think it can go either way, and that's fine. I was just curious yeah. as to some other people's opinions because you, you hear so much about it, and I think I'm on board with what you said. So yeah. <laughs> I agree with you. You're right, sir. I think you can be influenced by what oh, you read and sure. what you hear about it. I would love people to come into watching this film for the first time without all of the baggage mm. that it carries. Okay. Yeah, it'd be interesting and, to see. And just watch it and sort of form your own opinions for it. I don't think that I had really heard uh, any of the legend that had arisen about this film when I first saw it. I don't think so. I think that maybe came a little, you know, a little bit later. And I'm kind of glad that I did because maybe that shapes how how I look at it now. But but yes, bottom line if you, if you want to view it as that, then that's the beauty of it. You you can, mm-hmm. and in my personal opinion, it's it's just not as much there. Even even despite what Universal may have wanted to play up at that time, I just don't think it's as much there uh, a, a, as people b- believe it or see it there. Well, I, I want to go back to Irving Pitchell real quick. Uh, he, he did have a pretty interesting career. He got hung up with the blacklist at one point, which was unfortunate. But yeah. he also directed uh, one of my favorite sci-fi movies from the 50s, Destination Moon. Yeah. Which, yeah isn't that amazing? <laughs> I, I, I love that kind of thing that, that uh, he, he went on to, to be a director. Yep. I've never seen him in anything else. Same with Gloria Holden. I've never seen her in anything else other than in this film. So uh, this is my basis for how I look at these people. Yeah, well, and same here. And especially, you know, when you're first starting to get into older movies and monster movies. For me, Karloff, I know he did a lot of other non-Frankenstein work. But for me, when I see Karloff, immediately, Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monsters, yeah. that's it. You know, same yeah. with Lon. I know Lon Chaney was fantastic in a lot of other non-monster movies movies of mice and men but to me he's always going to be lawrence talbot um but yeah i would love to know more about some of these guys and and see more of their work irving pitchell is just so good as sandor oh what a a wonderful wonderful character i I think we've covered a lot of dracula's daughter is there anything that we missed that we think if somebody doesn't really appreciate the movie the way you and i do what would you say to them to get them to watch it you know direct sequel to to dracula 
uh, a very interesting pedigree of how it came about. But I, I probably always will go back to the cast and the performances from from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. That that there's so much richness in what they do and the characters that they create. You know, and even down to a chance to see Edward Van Sloan as Van Helsing again, such a staple of Universal monster movies. Uh, to 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 see him in there, you know, I would say, do you know, do you like movies with an unlikely leading man other than than just the handsome, dashing, younger men that you see uh, in, in other movies uh, that? You know, do you want to see something a little different? I guess you could say, hey, female vampire, there's that. Boy, even the character of Janet, I, I just everybody is so, to me, multi-layered in, the, in this movie. You know, Janet's a very interesting character, too. Uh, <laughs> you have to ask yourself, what is she, what exactly does she see in Jeffrey? <laughs> you know, you know, he's such a son of a bitch most of the time. <laughs> and, 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 you know, fairly cruel. <laughs> right but we find out that she has a mean streak in her too so maybe they're meant for each other <laughs> yeah uh her jealousy over countess zaleska you know is interesting <laughs> and then like i said before the triangle that they that those three create there's just so much fun in uh, in this uh, I'm, I'm thinking of like this movie has had a hopper in it <laughs> not very much but but that's so fun. Uh, and then the, the wonderful guy, he's at the, her party. He says to uh, uh, Jeffrey at one point, I say, had you found a better party? That guy. <laughs> I can't even think of his name at all. He's such a funny uh, little weird character in, in this <laughs> film. I, I would go to the characters as well and, and the performances. And, you know, we didn't talk too much about him, but. I think everybody knows Edward Van Sloan was Universal's Van Helsing. And while I am solidly on team Peter Cushing, when it comes to all things Van Helsing, (laughs) uh, he is fantastic in this. There's this sense of arrogance that he brings to everything when he's talking about it's vampires. No, you don't believe me. Well, I guess I'm doomed, you know, just, (laughs) (laughs) it's just this matter of fact. And, you know, when he's asked for, uh, who do you want to have as your lawyer? I want this guy. Mm-hmm. He's a psychiatrist. <laughs> it's like, what, what yeah. an odd choice. Uh, I, I really like him in this. But again, I'm going to go to the Jeffrey and Janet relationship and, mm-hmm. and, and chemistry and camaraderie. And again, Otto Kruger, not your typical dashing, handsome. He's not a David Manners. You know, he's not this young guy. Good, hey, he's good, in his yeah, 50s. There's, that's a good that's a good point right there. He's not he's not David Manners. It, it, it was an odd choice, but but it works in this. And hey, you know, Toledo boy made good. <laughs> there you go. Jim, this has been a blast talking about one of my favorite underrated Universal Monster movies. And I'm really glad that you made the time to do this. Thanks. It it is. It's been fun. We got to have you back on. Do you have anything coming up? This is going to go out within the next few weeks. So do you have anything coming up uh, book wise that people can keep an eye out for? Um, You know what? You you already mentioned it, but my my brand new book is The uh, Quest for the Space Gods. It's a kind of a take on the uh, Eric Von Daniken ancient astronauts craze of the mid 70s. This is the adventures of an author. 
mm-hmm. very much like Eric Von Daniken, as he he travels the world to uncover uh, what he believes is the truth of ancient astronauts and all of the people who stand in his way uh, of that. And and maybe there's a little bit of a weirdness uh, going on too. If you like that craze and you look back fondly on it, uh, if you like movies like Altered States or Close Encounters of the Third Kind, um, that's the kind of the vibe we're going. The stories are all in the mid seventies, and uh, Conrad is the is a, I think a very interesting character. He's 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 kind of like Jeffrey Garth. He's not he's not terribly likable, but we hope that uh, the readers get caught up in his quest. And that just came out uh, earlier this month in February. And if that's not enough to sell you on it, friend of the show, Frank Schildener, is also in the book. He's been on the yes. show repeatedly. And Desmond yes. Reddick, who's also been on the show once, many, many moons ago, and a fellow podcaster over at Dread Media, is also in the book. So yeah. I-, I can't encourage people to pick this up enough. It's currently available on paperback. Do you think it'll be coming out uh, as an ebook at some point? It just did. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes for people to pick this up as well. And Jim, we got to have you back on to talk about giant monsters or who knows what else. I'm up for talking anything monsters. Monsters, <laughs> monsters, monsters. Can't get enough, man. Yeah. If you head over to monsterkidradio.net, you'll see links in the show notes to everything we talk about here on the show. And that's going to include links to Jim's Amazon page. Go check it out. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. I have started reading Quest for the Space Gods, and I got to tell you, so far, thumbs up from me. Really digging it. So there's that. There's the G.I. Joe book that I mentioned, Planet of the Apes, Tales from the Forbidden Zone. Solid collection of stories. Very, very cool stuff. Jim, you're welcome back here on Monster Kid Radio whenever we can make it happen. And yeah, let's definitely make it happen. noise and burning white heat that drove people to their death. I have been convinced that this island has become the center of an invasion, the central landing point for beings from another planet. What happens when an unknown power from outer space uses our radar signals as life-saving beacons to bring it to Earth to consume our energy? 
island of the burning damned, an island desperate for help. How often has this happened to you? You're on your way home after a long day when suddenly tragedy strikes. No human mind could imagine the enormous destructive power of this maddened, killing thing. Professor, there's a big lizard back there and he's heading this way. Now get aboard! It's the kind of thing which can ruin your weekend. To prevent catastrophe, you need the Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack. This book features extensively researched methods to help you survive a giant monster event. You'll discover which vehicle you should use for making your escape, which method of counterattack is best for specific types of monsters. Hydrogen weapons, capable of wiping cities, countries off the face of the earth, are completely ineffective against this creature from the skies. And what common mistakes people make while fighting back. So pick up your copy of the Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack by Anthony Wendell today on Amazon. You can thank us by surviving. A remote Pacific island, where an expedition of world-famous scientists investigate incredible rumors of its fantastic mysteries and discover barren volcanic mountains surrounding strange green valleys. Mammoth caves that breed giant mutations. Vampire plants that devour humans. But most astounding of all, the tiniest women in all creation. Sacred beauties of a lost tribe which worships a monstrous creature. What is the secret of Mothra? What is the bizarre spell that awakens Mothra? As these doll-sized girls call to the super god from captivity. Mothra, whose revenge is more devastating than any man-made weapon. Mothra, who defies warplanes. Wrecks ocean liners. Smashes dams and bridges. Mothra, creating hurricanes. Mothra, enveloped in a shell that no human force can penetrate. indestructible, all-powerful, indescribable. What kind of creature is this god monster, Mothra? You might have noticed that I haven't had a 100 Years of Frankenstein installment on Monster Kid Radio for the past couple of weeks, and you're not going to hear it again either this week. It will continue. I will bring it back soon, maybe even next week, fingers and tentacles crossed. Those of you who follow me on Facebook know that I've been having some challenges lately. I haven't really talked too much publicly about it, but just health-wise, things have been a little difficult. So, Because of that, and of course, the dreaded day job, please, somebody hire me to work from home (laughs) or just, yeah, anyway, uh, because of that, pressures from the day job and and everything else going on, I have not had the time to do this extra bit. And I want to, I miss it, and I feel bad. I feel like maybe I've let people down a little bit, and I apologize for that. There will be the return of 100 Years of Frankenstein soon. Like I said, I want to do it next week, but we'll have to see. 
Thanks for your understanding and your patience. I know it's not exactly what you expect from a Rondo Award-nominated podcast, but, you know, it's just real life getting in the way. <laughs> they live by night. They hide in the dark and rise from the shadows. They can never feel the warmth of living human blood in their veins. Their bodies are cold and dead. Dracula versus Frankenstein. who serves the dead, a dead man who controls the doctor and a living creature horribly created from the mangled corpses of their victims. Dracula versus Frankenstein. His blood is cold, but his mind is keen. He cannot die, for he is already dead. His name is Dracula. Another lives, but his body belongs to the dead. The two will join forces, but only one will survive. Dracula versus Frankenstein. cemetery is a cold, lifeless place to visit at night, unless you're already dead, and your name is Dracula. Together, in one film, they meet in a fight of fright. The kings of horror battle to the death. Dracula versus Frankenstein. Sheer stark terror grips you in underwater 3D in Creature from the Black Lagoon. The most terrifying monster of the ages rises from the sea, raging with pent-up passions. Making every man his mortal enemy, every woman's beauty his prey. Creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D, starring Richard Carlson and Julie Adams. Every horrifying scene leaps out of the screen right at you. A universal re-release rated G. Those Facebook messages I mentioned at the top of the show, that wasn't the only feedback we got this week. And to help me out, my wife, Bren, is going to read the emails we got. Hey, Derek, I just wanted to let you know how much I enjoyed the episode discussing hows with Steve Turek. I wanted to write in about how your talk about Godzilla being a sports mascot for a baseball team made me think of Hideki Matsui. No? Sure. That sounds great. <laughs> Made me think of Hideki Matsui. His nickname was Godzilla since he was a power hitter and a big fan of the big guy. Godzilla's theme would even play as he walked up to the bat. In Japan, almost all of his merchandise featured Godzilla. 
He came to the U.S. and played with the Yankees for a number of years, keeping his nickname. But the best part is that he had a hilarious cameo in 2002's Godzilla against Mechagodzilla. Check it out next time you watch it. My family and I are excited to see Rico Browning and his daughter again this weekend at Silver Springs here in Florida for Springfest. It's going to be a lot of fun. As always, keep up the great work as your podcast is still the best. Many thanks, Russell. Mega Godzilla. I'm glad you enjoyed the episode involving House as well. That that was a blast. I know I said at the top of the show that sometimes I worry about getting away from the quote unquote original mission of MKR, but you know what? You bring me movies like House from 1977, and I'm a happy guy. That movie was so much fun to talk about. I am probably going to end up watching it again this month just because it's been kind of haunting me a little bit. Anyway, I'm glad you dug the episode. And, you know, people have been posting on Facebook in, I believe, the group, some pictures of Godzilla doing some promotional Japanese baseball stuff. Very, very cool. I'm not very much into, well, sports overall, so I I don't know much about this guy that you mentioned, uh, Matsui, whose name I think we did pronounce correctly for once. Uh, But I will go back next time I watch Godzilla against Mechagodzilla. I'll see if I can find him because I I didn't know what I was looking at. As far as seeing Riku Browning again, man, that guy is awesome. Tell him Monster Kid Radio said hi and have a blast. And then we got a second email, and Brennan's going to read that too. But then things went a little bit off the rails in an awesome way. Bren, take it away. I wanted to let you know that I'm still listening, although I always seem a couple weeks behind and still loving the show. I was very sorry to hear about the friend you lost, but I was happy to hear your other friend will be okay. Also, it was good to hear Brenda's voice again. Question mark? Are we not sure how we feel about this? <laughs> that, that might have been my bad. <laughs> eh, it's good to hear Brenda's voice again. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> How is she these days? I love hearing you mention your cats on air and was thrilled that Wednesday decided to chime in. (laughs) That cat, this whole mini conversation, the whole mini conversation with her made me smile. You do talk back and forth with her, huh? Yeah. And then what? Yeah. Well, you did a good job. Thank you for all you do. You make my day, and I'm sure, the days of a lot of other people much brighter. Keep up the good work, Diana in New Jersey. Okay, before you leave, tell people how you're doing. I was going to say Wednesday says hi, bossy man. I don't know, how am I doing? (laughs) You know better than me! (laughs) I know. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to sit down and chat? Uh, okay. I'll just I'll just stand. No. I have the big chair. I'll just stand. Sharing a microphone. This is old school. This is how we this used to do like feedback time ago. on our old podcast. And you could never hear me. Nope. And you're so loud. Yep. <laughs> how are you these days? I think I'm okay. <laughs> I you know my RA is not a, not great. Uh, the rheumatoid arthritis is the worst monster. No, there are worse monsters in our life that. right now there i guess yeah um yeah and so that inhibits a lot of my life my life is a lot smaller now i feel like i only work 32 hours a week which puts crimp on finances and 
the increased doctor's appointments and medications all don't help. Um, but my life has you, which makes it big. <laughs> and it has kitties, which make it big. And uh, video games, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of kitties, take the mouse and click right there. Oh. Which one? Uh, the, that one. That's Diana's kitty. Oh, she sent us a picture. <laughs> we haven't. We don't have an orange. We've never had an orange kitty. Um, if you click here, there's something about it. I can't remember what she said. Her, the cat's name is Blarp, named after the space that? creature from oh, the yeah. Lost in Space movie. <laughs> Danger! 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 Will Robinson. <laughs> My arms are flailing, which makes for great Podcasting. voice recording. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for reading my emails. Oh, yeah. Wait. <laughs> what? What's a good how I'm doing? Because I feel like that was all very depressing. You got me, babe. I got you, babe. Yeah, we, I'm not paying for the rights for that stuff. Oh. <laughs> um, I got some really good friends. Yeah, we, we're, you're, we're doing okay. We're getting by and surviving and stuff. Okay. Right? Well, I feel like a downer. <laughs> What's your favorite monster movie? You want to play the Classic Five? <laughs> yes. Are you serious? I do. Really? Yes, but I'm going to fail horribly. Okay. Hold on. I'm going to get another mic out. Do we need another mic? Yeah. I could just interview myself. Oh, we're going to be serious. You know what this is, right? You've, you've heard me. Yeah. yeah. I, I've taken pictures of these cards and sent the images to you at various conventions where you've forgotten them at home. Shh. <laughs> Wait, what do you do to make the shuffle sound when you've left them at home? Why is your chair so squeaky? <laughs> Focus. Oh. Card number one. You're, You're ready? Out. Yeah. Well, I want to make sure it's picking up. Okay. Okay. This is a gray card. So this is a core deck. You ready? A core deck card. Who else could have or should have played Frankenstein's monster? Maybe we should clarify that I very rarely remember actors' names or the names of movies. So it's a game where I'm like, the one with the person that we really like that was in the other one that was the glowing tree was in it. Stop stalling. Who should have played Frankenstein? <laughs> no, the monster. The monster. Oh, because of Dr. Frankenstein. Right, right, right. See? So wait, what is Frankenstein's monster called? Isn't he Frankenstein too? Well, yeah, yeah. Kind of. Which is very, because he's a narcissist. <laughs> I'd name this creature me. No, he never. Uh, uh you. You could have played. <laughs> okay. You could play Godzilla, too. Okay, well, I don't think that's in here, but. All right, guy number two. What classic monster movie should never, ever be remade? I don't believe that anything exists that shouldn't be remade. <gasps> Now, if it's done poorly, then bummer. But I always think that a movie could be redone if you stick to the right parts of the movie and and the things you change are not affecting the core of that movie, but bringing it to make it more current to younger people these days. I think it's okay. Like Phantom of the Opera and then the new one they did. But there's been some ones too. Oh, it's a clean... Oh. <laughs> it's okay. I don't, do you disagree with that? Phantom of the Opera is just another adaptation of an original source material. It's not a remake of a film. <laughs> it's true, but... 
So wait, do you think there are movies that truly should never, ever be remade? I don't like remakes overall. However, there are some that do transcend. I just, I, I know... As I get older and more cynical, I understand that Hollywood is less and less the idea machine that, mm. that you know we're led to believe. Uh, there's truly nothing new under the sun, just different ways of doing it. And um, yeah, remakes, it's a hard sell for me. I don't want to see... Well, I don't, well, and I don't know that Hollywood is the place to remake something that is really good to begin with because mm. there are so many cooks in the kitchen. There's so many yeah. people trying to, it, it would need to be something. I don't know that Hollywood would be the right place, but wouldn't, if there were like a perfect remake, wouldn't the whole, um, you know, like your podcast, everything would be re-enlivened with new fans. Not that, that it's not in like, but it would bring new people and new perspectives. And right. Which is exactly what happened with the Tom Cruise movie, The Mummy, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> you can try and you uh, can fail. <laughs> oh, man. I'm trying to think of a remake of a genre film that we've seen. But really good or really bad? It, it, it's going to go back to the whole, do you remember the movie? We saw The Day the Earth Stood Still remake with Keanu Reeves and Will Smith's kid and Jennifer Connelly. And we even podcast about this on our old podcast. And every time I said Jennifer Connelly, you smacked me oh, because she was my first movie crush. Oh, wait, there is no was. <laughs> she is a movie crush. Wait, was she? did she come before Julie? Yes, in my chronology, in my age, yes, because I didn't know Julie before, but I did know Jennifer, and I wanted to go on an adventure in the labyrinth with her <laughs> when I was do, a kid. But mine was David Bowie and his crotch bulge. Uh, okay, you know what? We are way off track. I don't want to see a. Re- I, you know what? It's not. I'm not playing. You're playing, and and you have passed. Card number three. This is a black card. This is the the hardcore, not messing around. What's your favorite, Vincent? Wait, how's the you see? Oh, I see where it's gray versus black. It's hardly visible. Perhaps you should work on that design flaw. I love you and support you and want you to be happy. What's <laughs> your favorite Vincent Price, Roger Corman film? Oh, f***. Oh, I mean, <laughs> Have I ever seen a Vincent Price film? Edward Scissorhands. <gasps> but Roger Corman had nothing to do with it. Oh, well, then why did you even offer it? I was just answering your question, on. He was like sad twee man that you just wanted to protect him and make his life better. What? Edward, scissor. <laughs> this is me making scissors. Okay. Great podcasting. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find. Oh, let's get a red card. Oh, that one stands out. But you're colorblind. Does it stand out to you? <laughs> wow. Red card. This means it's about hammer films. Uh-oh. Wait, <laughs> quick. Remind me what hammer films I've seen. You got a lot of Hammer books that I buy you where some of the women are topless. Uh Uh-huh. Should I just go grab one of those? I I read those books for the articles. (laughs) What would you say to, not counting the original, what's your favorite Hammer Dracula film? Uh Uh-oh, Dracula bit me? (laughs) That's one, right? Sure. Oh, darn, my neck stings. <laughs> Ooh. Oh. Uh-oh. Dracula bit me. I don't know. 
Have I seen anything? But have I seen original Dracula? No. But we saw Bride, right? Frank Bride of Frankenstein. We did watch Bride of Frankenstein, but that's Universal. That's not Hammer. Oh yeah, I knew that totally. So while while you were kind of spinning your wheels, I went through and found a green card. How do you? Wait, which do those look different to you? No. That's because your color. Why would you make? One I mean, that? yes, they do look different. I can tell the difference. I did it. How can you tell if you can't tell the difference between red and green? And you decided to make a major design element red and green. You can. How do you know the differences? I because one's red and one's green. <laughs> green. What do you think green means? How much of this are you going to cut out? I don't know yet. How much? What do you think green means? Go. Collect two hundred dollars. It is Godzilla. No, you yes, said it yes. It is kaiju. It is okay. kaiju. The card. The question is, what city would you like to see a kaiju destroy right now? Oh no, there would have to be no people in it, and no wild bunny rabbits like that. <laughs> That's your go-to. <laughs> that island in Japan where it's all, it's all. <laughs> no people and no bunnies. And no kitties. Everything else done. <laughs> <laughs> done so. <laughs> but no buns and no kitties. Oh. And no people, of course. So yeah. Um. <laughs> so. Because there's no city that's like completely filled with bad people. I mean. <gasps> Don't go there. Oh. <laughs> North Korea. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to go politics, but. North Korea. Um, is it Pyongyang? I don't know. I mean, even those people are just like, what are you going to do? The ones that get to live in Pyongyang, you better not piss them off because you're going to go live in a <laughs> camp somewhere. Let's find one that I can't, like, that I can do better at. <laughs> okay. Pick one. <laughs> Pick one. This this is the wife's advantage that she can actually go through the cards. I don't do this with anybody else. Is Peter Cushing the one you dreamed about spitting on you when you were sick? No! <laughs> Who was that one? David Cronenberg. <laughs> Klaatu or Gort? I guess Klaatu, because does Klaatu say Klaatu Nictu Varada? No. <laughs> Gort says Klaatu. <laughs> That's from the day the earth stood still. Now, what was the one we watched, the remake? Like, tell me a scene. Were they in a house at one point? <laughs> That's a steroid. And they were the yes. big, huge monsters. Of all the movies, the and one in the house. <laughs> <laughs> well, shit got real outside. Oh, no, that wasn't that. Oh. What character from a classic movie monster should run for politics? Godzilla? <laughs> what would he run for? His platform is, I am the red button. <laughs> <laughs> what prop would you like to own? Good lord, I don't know any of these things. Sorry, I'm not a better wife. Me too. <laughs> well, this one, I have to say, Creature of Black Lagoon. Well, read the question. Because I don't know the monster Piedras Blancas, which is something white. Is it? Um, it's a city. It's a town. A small town. Who's your favorite Godzilla foe? Um, it's Anne Hathaway. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? Those were robots, right? But it was kind of kaiju-like. But it wasn't. 
but Anne Hathaway standing in a playground. Okay. <laughs> oh, How work come on you it. don't have like a, a blue card, a Brenda card? What would that be? Um, I don't know. When was the last time you watched a classic monster movie with me? Well, why do you have to go get all judgy? <laughs> when was the last time you watched one on your own? Why do you have to go be all, all judgy? What's the last thing we just watched? What did we just watch? We did just watch something, right? It wasn't a classic, though. No. Oh, but we're watching Altered Carbon. That's amazing. But it has nothing to do with any of this. Oh. Um. I mean, there's the the demog- Demogorgon. Thank you for reading emails tonight, honey. <laughs> Love you. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Sorry I'm not cool enough for your card game. No. You're always my plus one when it comes to the Monster Kid Radio gang, so. So what? So you always come along. I don't have to be cool? No. <laughs> no. Huge thanks to my wife for being part of the show this week. Kind of like a sneaker in at the last minute kind of recording thing. It was awesome. It was fun. Uh, like I said, I don't think we're going to be able to do it every single week, but you guys sent an email in. I'll ask her if she'll read it on the show. I love having Brenda on the podcast. I used to podcast with her all the time way back in the day when we only had one microphone, uh, which you kind of got to hear what that might have sounded like in this. But anyway, it was fun. Thank you, Brenda, for doing that. And thank you, Diana, for writing in. Thanks to Russell for writing in. Thanks for everybody who sent us messages through Facebook as well. And thanks to everybody who shares the posts on Facebook and retweets the tweets. You can always find me on Facebook. Just look up Monster Kid Radio or Monster Kid Radio on Twitter. Of course, this is all available on our website as well, monsterkidradio.net. You're going to find our contact information there. If you want to shoot me an email, monsterkidradio at gmail.com or send us a voicemail. 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. Is it send a voicemail? It's leave a voicemail. Send an email. Y'all know what I meant. Anyway, monsterkidradio.net is also going to have those links to a couple of Jim Beard's books, as well as a link to his Amazon page. Go check him out. Support him. He's a monster kid like you and me, and he's a mighty fine writer. A lot of fun. I also have a link to the Monster Bash because that's coming up here soon in a few months. I'm going to be there. I can't wait to get there. Monster Bash is the classic monster movie conference that happens June 22nd through the 24th in Pittsburgh North, Mars, Pennsylvania at the Doubletree this year. There's a ton of people that are going to be there, but the person I'm most excited about meeting or I guess meeting again is Victoria Price. She's going to be there. Not sure what she's going to be doing. I'm sure she'll give a presentation of some sort. If it's as good as the presentation she did here in Portland a few years ago or presentation she's done that I've heard about later, I'm sure it's going to be awesome. Note to self, I need to drop her an email and let her know I'll be there and see if I can set up an interview. Anyway, it's going to be a lot of fun. If you're going to be at Monster Bash, let me know. I'd love to meet you. I'm going to be hard to miss because Monster Kid Radio will actually have a table there. It's going to be really, really cool. That's happening in a few months. Let's talk about something that's happening in about a month here in the Portland, Oregon area. At the end of March, oh man, the Hollywood Theater, it's showing. It came from outer space. It's a 35 millimeter print. It's in 3D. Kathleen Hughes, who was in the film, will be in attendance for a post screening Q and A. I can't wait. It's going to be 
incredibly cool Saturday, 6 p.m., March 31st at the Hollywood Theater in Portland. Go look up hollywoodtheater.org to learn more about it. And I would highly recommend you buy your tickets in advance because there's a good chance this one's going to sell out. You got a month. I would love to see you there. You know, I'm going to be there. Chris McMillan's going to be there. Dominic Lamsey's is going to be there. And Tom Doffel's talking about being there as well. So a lot of Monster Kid Radio irregulars will be there. And I would love to see you there too. Also on our website, you're going to find a link to the Rondo Awards. The Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards honors the best in classic monster movie scholarship, fandom, writing, art, enjoyment. Monster Kid Radio is once again nominated for the best multimedia category, and I'm honored to be included in the ballot. Head over to RondoAward.com to view the entire ballot. Check out every single category. See what movies you might have missed last year. See what the good commentaries, magazine articles, magazine covers are. There's some great books in here. A lot of friends of Monster Kid Radio turned up on the ballot this year. Go listen to last week's episode to hear all about that. I want to talk a little bit about the category that I'm in the best multimedia horror site category. Like I said, it's an honor to be on this ballot. This ballot represents the best. It's got so many incredible podcasts in here to be in this category with so many incredibly cool shows. It's just flat out awesome. I know that some of you have already submitted your ballot. And if you voted for Monster Kid Radio, I thank you. But if you haven't submitted your ballot yet, you know what? I'm going to ask you to vote for somebody else. Not that I don't appreciate your support. I really do. It means the world to me to have you guys and gals along for the ride. But there's somebody else on this ballot that I would love to see get a bit more recognition. And I know he does within his circle of kaiju fanatics. I'm talking about the kaiju cast. Kyle Yount has been rocking it hard. I don't think I've ever listened to an episode of the kaiju cast that I didn't like. Even if you're not a fan of giant monsters from Japan... The chemistry that Kyle and his crew bring to each episode is outstanding. Every time that I'm on the Kaiju cast, it's only been a few times, but every time I've been there, I've learned something from Kyle. He is one heck of a producer. He goes to Japan on the regular, sometimes for business, sometimes for fun, but he always comes back with content for the Kaiju cast. He had the original Ultraman on his show, for crying out loud. So again, I appreciate the support of Monster Kid Radio. I really do. It means a lot. But if you haven't cast your ballot yet, please consider listening to an episode of the Kaiju Cast and then throw them a vote. I think Kyle deserves a rondo. And hey, speaking of Riku Browning, you know the email from Russell? Riku Browning is not yet in the Monster Kid Hall of Fame over at the Rondo Awards. Julie Adams is, Ben Chapman is, but we need Riku Browning. We need the other Gill man in the Hall of Fame. So I know where I'm going to be throwing my Hall of Fame vote. The ballot is due April 8th of this year. Well, obviously of this year. The ballot's due April 8th. Head over there to RondoAward.com. Check it out. Follow the instructions. It's pretty easy. Pretty old school. Just send an email to T-A-R-A-C-O at AOL.com with your completed ballot. Let's talk about what's happening next week on Monster Kid Radio. Like I said, my intention is to bring back the 100 Years of Frankenstein segment, but we've got another movie to talk about as well with another new voice. I love getting new voices in the mix. We've got filmmaker Joe Sherlock coming to the show next week to talk about the 1959 film, The Four Skulls of Jonathan Drake. The evil that men do lives after them. Beware. Beware. 
From beyond the grave comes blood-freezing horror as an ancient curse brings paralyzing terror to all who know the terrible secret of the Four Skulls of Jonathan Drake. creepy movie this is and and i'll give you a little bit of a spoiler next week i'm going to tell joe that uh, while i have seen parts of this movie and segments and pretty much i think i've seen the whole thing i've never sat down to watch it from start to finish so my viewing for that episode of the four skulls of jonathan drink was the first time i've seen it and in its entirety uninterrupted and wow what a trip what a ride what a conversation that I had with Joe. Joe's a local filmmaker, and you might know his name if you've been paying attention to what's happening with the official, I'm going to call it official because Jackie's involved, the official sequel to Manos the Hands of Fate, Manos Returns. Joe was the cinematographer on that project. We're going to talk about that too next week, so come back for episode 360. Between now and then, though, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Malaguena Stomp. That belongs to the surf band Five Fingers with Parasol. They're based out of Castillon, Spain. You can find them at the number five, fingers.bandcamp.com, and look up the album <laughs> So Yo Tuvier Uno Longboard, which I think I actually pronounced right. Check them out and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name is Derek M. Cook. Talk to everybody next week. Ciao.